please follow the reading of the Word of God. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. For as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness and you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing through the many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayers on your behalf, yearn for you because of your surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, help us. Help us to hear. Help us to see. Help us be overwhelmed by the amazement of this text. Father, this will test our faith. Father, may we all have a surpassing greatness in our trust of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, may we, with a longing and heart, a passion of our souls, to watch you do incredibly more than we could think or imagine. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name. Amen. If you look at the word theology, what do you think of? Study of God. It's real straightforward, real simple. Okay? Who is God? Right? Because once you look at what theology is, then you start getting a picture of who He is. Okay? We know that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, so no man can boast. All right. We know that salvation came by a plan of God perfected in the person of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You get that from the study of theology. All right. One of the things that I have watched because of my love for history is the church collectively through different times, their faith gets tested. There are seven churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelations. I have heard people argue that these are the church ages. This is how it works. And the the last church age will be the Laodicean age. I think you need a really big hammer to drive that one into history. But if you want to knock yourself out, go for it. My thing is, as I look at those seven churches and I see individuals in the body of Christ throughout time. Okay. There are people who will take any of them given churches, uh, whether it's Smyrna, Philadelphia, just take them all and you will see that type of person in the congregation at any given time. One of the tragedies is that at times you can look at that and you can say, this is not a biblically stupid person. Okay, I know people who know the Bible 
And yet their life says, I don't trust it. Okay. Now, no Christian is going to get up in the morning and say, today, I do not trust him. Okay. But there are times in our lives when you have the information in your head that your heart don't trust him. Okay? And the one that stands out the brightest is money. Is money. All right? That's what this text is dealing with. I I watched, I've read a lot of people on this, I've, I've heard people teach on this text and by golly, <laughs> uh, you know, I had a friend of mine that says the Bible is like a prisoner of war. If you torture it enough, it'll say anything. And, and I, I read this text and I'm like, this text is not that hard to understand. Now, you may not like what it says, but it still doesn't mean that it's that hard to understand. What we are looking at is what I call God's prosperity. God's prosperity. And we looked at verse 7 and we saw that the love from God, there is a special affection to cheerful givers from God. And we've already discussed all of this. God loves. Absolutely. And then God loves His own to perfection. Absolutely. But there is a special affection in this text, verse 7, that says that God has a special love for those who are cheerful givers. And the word is literally hilarious. Hilarious givers. Alright? Now, we all think that, well, you know, I give this, I give that. And listen, I'm not here to manipulate you. I have told you the needs. Alright? Whether you give to it or not, that's between you and God. I don't, you know, I'm not here to hold a gun to your head. I, I, I don't, you know, you, you have to stand before Him. And you know what? If you think you can stand before him and say, well, Terry said it won't fly. Okay. Adam blamed God for Eve. All right. Eve blamed the snake. Okay. So that all worked out well, didn't it? So you guys think you can blame me or another Christian or whatever for what your heart condition is. You're wrong. When God has put that special affection on that person who is a cheerful giver, then that person will see the generosity from God. And he starts it out there in verse 8. We looked at this last week, but this thing is so packed that it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All right. He says, God is able. When you study theology, okay, You take in that information, all right, and you start looking around. If you've ever flown over the Southwest, uh, like uh, Zion and um, uh, what is that big ditch? Grand Canyon. Okay, you, you, you fly over that thing. I can look at that and see where the waters receded from the flood. Okay. I mean, you just fly over and look at it. I did that in my driveway with a water hose. Not to, I don't make a Grand Canyon, but <laughs> you got a serious ditch in your driveway. Okay. But you can watch it when the water goes through, the loose dirt goes away. Okay. And the hard stuff sticks around and you get the buttes and the, and the things like it. I love one of my favorite places is Monument Valley. 
I love Monument Valley. That is an awesome place. I'm a John Wayne fan, so probably ought to be. But anyway, but, but it's a beautiful place. Okay? I love Monument Valley. But you can see where the water moved away. And if you fly over that, you can sit there and you say that. And you sit and you say, well, well, the Bible says that. Okay? You take in your theology. And each of us in this room right now has different levels. Okay? Different degrees of understanding. But what I've noticed is you can have a lot of information and very little faith. Or you can have very little information and a massive amount of faith. Okay? Because the question that you're always going to have to deal with is, is he able? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. He is Able. How did he start it out? If you sow sparingly, what happens? Reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, reap bountifully. Now ask yourself a question. Is he able? Okay. That's what we're looking at. Because it says to make all Grace abound to you. Okay, now, he's only the God of infinite grace. So how much of that is going to abound to you? All of it. Uh, Al and I had a friend that was always asking us to pray that they'd get more grace. I need more grace. And I kept thinking, you know, dude, you ain't even operating in what you got. Why? Because you're not lacking any. It is impossible. He's the God of infinite grace. How much grace did he give you? He only gave me a half a shot glass full. And I'm nursing it. No. He has poured it upon you. And if you're a cheerful giver, then you will abound in that grace. Okay, what is that grace? Because I've watched people do some theological yoga to tell me what this text means. And I, I was surprised at the number of individual who believe that what he's talking about is that he will give you spiritual blessings. And I keep thinking, how are you getting that out of this text? Because he ain't talking about spiritual blessings here. He's talking about an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. You know, what are you going to walk into the saints of Jerusalem who are starving and say, we are bringing you spiritual blessings. Do you understand we're starving? Okay. Can I eat that spiritual blessing? Can I sleep in that spiritual blessing? Can I be clothed in that spiritual blessing? But he says here, I will give you provisions so that you will always have sufficiency for what? Read it. So that always having all sufficiency in what? In everything. Okay, what would everything be? Spiritual blessings. That ain't what it says. And look at the word all. All sufficiency. Always having it. Okay, now listen. Is God able? 
Because this context, I don't care how you, you can try to do some kind of spiritual yoga if you want. I can only get, as this is all in respect to earthly wealth. Well, that means that if, if I give him like 50 bucks, then we'll get $50 worth of spiritual blessings. It's not what the text reads. Listen, it's something I'm, I'm you know, I'm not a, an agrarian. Um, I've been around livestock, but, and, you know, and I have seen some things. But I know this for a fact, okay? If I plant corn, I'm not going to get soybean, okay? I know that for sure, okay? And, I, you know, I... I'm not a horticulturalist, I'm not a farmer, but I'm betting the farm that if I plant corn, I can tell you, I may not get very much, but I can tell you what my crop's going to be. Okay? It may be one ear, but it won't be an ear of soybeans. The harvest must have the same nature as the seed. The context that he's sowing here is what? If I sow material things, what are you going to get? That sounds like that health, wealth, and prosperity stuff. Now it sounds like God of all grace. I, I, I can't get around this text. I have to look at this text and say, this has nothing to do with spiritual graces. Now, don't get me wrong. It is implied. And I'll show you that in a second. But what he's talking about is money. What money you collect for the saints in Jerusalem will be made to abound in you. And you will always have all sufficiency in everything. Okay, you believe that? Didn't get a single amen out of that one. Jeez. You will always have all sufficiency for all things. You believe that? Now, we can read it. Then the next question i got to ask you, is he able? God makes sure we don't have any needs. You walk in my righteousness, the psalmist tells me, you will never hunger nor thirst. The giver who is cheerful will always have plenty to give away. You know what? And I, and I always look at it, when I read this, I keep thinking, I'm getting back a godly dividend. I, I'm putting money into the first bank of heaven, and he's paying me a better interest rate than I'm getting from my credit union. Okay? If we sow our treasures with God, if we sow our money, our possessions... God says, I will lavish it back to you. 
Now, this is an amazing text. And the construction of the text is, is just mind-boggling. This cheerful giver that God puts a special affection on in verse 7, as regularly as the resources of that cheerful giver are spent by his generous giving, they are replenished by divine grace. And we also don't go, wait a minute. <laughs> Some stocks are given 30%. But it says that it will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God just pours it in your lap. So you will always have all sufficiency in everything. Right now, I watched people at times, and 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 they read this text, and they're they're saying, "Well, as you invest in missions, okay, you invest in missions, then there'll be these spiritual blessings of a harvest of souls in Ethiopia and Swahili's and all this other stuff." Well, all right, but you do have a problem. The word there, all sufficiencies. Okay, the word all in the original language means all. What does sufficiency mean? What is he talking about sufficiency here? Well, it's an interesting, interesting word. It was used extensively by an author that many of you have heard about, but I don't know if you've ever read him. Okay, uh, an old Greek dude named Socrates. He used it a lot. Okay. Seneca used it a lot. And so did that one guy, Paul, used it. And they all used it the same. The philosophers loved it. Okay? Here was the philosopher, you know, them guys, (laughs) definition of this word. Here's how they defined it, Seneca. Proud independence of self-sufficiency. Proud independence of self-sufficiency. Okay? And they like to call it, this was the true happiness of contentment. Contentment. Okay? You will find your true happiness when you are proudly independent, self-sufficient. You will have your contentment. That is how humans will be content. You know what I find fascinating about that? Socrates was the first one to come up with that profound wisdom. And you know what? Nothing's changed today. Seneca said it. Today we call it self-esteem. Self-esteem. Ego building. Because I have a proud independence in my self-sufficiency. Therefore, I am content. That is the current philosophy of our time. We have a different name for it. We don't call it a philosophy anymore. We call it psychology. Okay? All of that is intended to produce an independent self-sufficiency of a proud people. When that is there, you will have peace.
people who are content. Look at the turmoil that exists on the planet Earth right now, and you have people who are striving to be self-sufficient in their pride. Okay? The Apostle Paul steps up. It says that sufficiency, that contentment that you are looking for. Remember, Paul's the guy who said, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether with much or with little. Paul says that sufficiency that you are seeking for yourself, that contentment that you are seeking for yourself, God will grant you in everything. You'll be content and you'll have everything you ever have need of if you are a cheerful giver. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I don't know people's hearts. (laughs) Nothing personal against any of you guys. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, I've wrestled with this. I keep reading this and I keep thinking, this is what it says. Okay, and then you keep jumping back and saying, is he able? Is he able? There's a text that we read occasionally. We, I, I, I've noticed that we like to help other people with it. Okay, if a person is going through hard times, we will share this in the depth of our love for that individual. Comes out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we share that with the downtrodden, the struggling. <laughs> Unless it's us who are downtrodden and struggling. <laughs> then we try to. Find another one. One of the things I have learned in my life as an experience is my God is not stingy. God will pour this back into your lap in like kind if you give without grudge or fear. You sow your treasure with him and he'll give it back to you. You sow your treasure anywhere but with him. You ain't getting no guarantees. You know, uh, I know people who bought into the stock market in 2008 when it fell apart and they made money. They weren't. Financial advisors, they weren't geniuses, but they just looked at it and said, the stock market has fallen by 50%. I bet I can make a buck off of this. They put their money in there. Sure enough, guess what? It went up. Okay? You may want to not stay there long because if it dumped once, hey, I bet there's another dump coming. But so what do you got? God is not stingy. Why? Now, I want to show you this because you got to look at it because I watched this touted. Okay. By the health, wealth and prosperity people. They'll use this verse. I need a Learjet, but I have a problem. I need a pilot, too. (laughs) You see me driving 
to Elizabeth in my Learjet. <laughs> I don't want it to get too fast that I get off the ground. He says, I want you to have all sufficiency in everything and you may have an abundance. Okay? Why? Abundance for what? Good deeds. Good deeds. The reason God gives it back to us with such abundance in everything that you are absolutely content in everything, this abundance of His generosity is so that you will use it to do what? More good deeds. Listen, if you're not doing them now, you might as well just ignore this. If you're doing out of a heart that is generous because you understand the massiveness of your salvation and you're doing it, you're not going to be in need. It's impossible or this book isn't true. This book says it's true. And if you do it and you are cheerful in doing it, then guess what? You will have in all abundance, in all sufficiency, in all things. Okay, listen, I, if you're looking at this thing, all right, well, I'll give sacrificially right now because I would like to get a new Corvette. You missed it. Okay, it is not to be consumed on your own desires. You'll be given by God all you need to meet the demands of your generous heart so that you are able to do everything and every good deed you desire to do. That's amazing. And he uses the word all or a derivative of it, always having all sufficiency and everything you may have in abundance is, is a form of the word all for every good deed. That's amazing. There is no reason on the planet Earth for any Christian to be in need. And the only reason there is, is that sometimes we're not as hilarious in our giving. Okay? God will replenish your supply. And when God finds a cheerful giver, who's not doing it under compulsion, who's not doing it grudgingly, He gives them a special affection and He is generous to that giver. Alright? He sets a special affection on that generous giver and keeps replenishing in abundance because he knows the heart of that giver is going to continue to give. Ask yourself a question. Is he able? Okay? We get into a constant flow and we give it to the Lord 
And God will replenish it consistently and continually. And you will have more to give. And your generous heart will get to be exercised even more. And you will be allowed to express it and do every good deed that you desire. Now think about that for a few minutes. Have you, did you ever ponder that? You know, we make cliche statements. Well, you just can't outgive God. Then why haven't you tried it? Well, I ain't that sure about it. It just makes a good bumper sticker. Okay? But I, I sit and I look at the wealth of this nation. Okay? And then I'm going to get a little specific on it. The wealth of the evangelical body in this nation. And I can't understand why the rest of the world looks like it does. And then it dawns on me. Ding. Yeah, I do. We have not been good stewards. We have invested in the temporal and massive amounts of money. Um, and, I, and I think in a big part, we don't think he's able. I, what's it? Money just going to fall out of heaven? Well, manna did. Do you believe that? Well, yeah. All right. Well, when they got tired, they started belly aching. Then they got birds. Okay? And I, I love quail. <laughs> I, I'd give anything God. Put a bunch of them, just fly up in my yard and fall over dead and I can have them. I'm in. Okay? But do you... you my question is your faith. You hear the words. Okay, a lot of you, we've been together for a long time. You know the words. You know how massive our God is. I mean, he just flung the stars into heaven. Well, there you go. You got to understand. Do you understand that what you perceive as wealth right now? Who created it? God did. All right. But now all of a sudden you don't think he can replace it. Well, you don't understand. I worked for it. Where did you get the talent from? That ability. Well, but you just don't. No. Your faith ain't that strong. Your faith ain't that strong. God will replenish and he will give that generous heart so that that generous heart can expand in the good deeds that that generous heart is giving to. And you know what? I, I was going back through this and, and I thought, you know, I remember sitting with some seminary kids. And they believed that the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And I was trying to figure out why are they in seminary? Um You'd think like you'd have had that figured out before you got there, but maybe not. And then I I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, God is never changing. And I thought, what does he say about this? There's a book, it's called The Second Law. And it was given by Moses to the nation of Israel as they were preparing to enter into the uh, promised land. Okay, you know the book as Deuteronomy. 
And it basically was talking about what you're supposed to do when you get in there, okay, how you're going to conduct yourself, okay? And I, I found a verse that was fascinating, uh, Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, and you shall give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because... For this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all of your undertakings. Okay, now he's, he's talking about the Sabbath uh, years. And, and, and this is basically, you know, verse 7. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any town of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart. Close your hand from your poor brother. He's not talking about giving your poor brother a spiritual blessing. Okay. You shall give generously to him. You shall give generously. So I read that and I was like, man, you know, this this thing about having your heart set right and giving generously and sacrificially, it's kind of been going on a while. Okay, I'm not sure it's been effective, but the plan has always been there. This thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. You know what that tells me? This ain't a spiritual thing. It means your work will be blessed. You know what that means? You have a job. <laughs> okay? And it will be a successful Job, And you don't do it grudgingly. And that's the exact concept you see the Apostle Paul sharing with us in 9.8. Okay? It's done with a willing heart. You know, the heart says, you know what, God has blessed me. Now listen, I know, and I've been around long enough, we've got these little plastic things that we carry in our wallets, that you can spin them anywhere, anytime, and it is convenient until 30 days later then it becomes inconvenient. Okay? And so what we do is we act like the federal government. I'll spend it before I got it because I know it's coming. And God says, not, not really the way I operate. The Lord will bless. He will bless your business. He will make your business prosper. At this time, it would have been farming and craftsmanship and vineyards and things like that. He says, I'll bless it. And if you look at the history of Israel, when they gave in obedience to God with the right hearts, what did the nation of Israel do? Prosper. Some of the richest, maybe the richest nation ever. I mean, Solomon didn't have it too tough. I mean, you know, he had people lining up to bring him riches. I've never had that problem. I know you're not a king either. <laughs> Why would God do that? Verse 11, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Why? Because they're always going to be there and I want my presence seen by the poor and the needy in your land. God knows if you have a giving heart, 
He wants to fill that need so that you have all the resources to do the deeds he has laid on your heart. He will meet your needs only after you freely open your hand. Ever thought about that? Freely open your hand. You know, I watch people um, <laughs> in different situations and, and, and they want to sing to Jesus and they'll do this. Okay? Because that makes them more worshipful. And I said, you know what? I know that 98% of them people don't have any idea what open hands to God means. Okay, because if they did, they wouldn't do that. Okay, because what they're saying is, it's all yours. It's all yours. And all I have to do is say, well, let me look at the register of your checkbook. And I'll see how much is his. Okay, but that's what it means. I don't hold nothing back. It's all yours. I lift up holy hands. Set apart hands unto you, God. That's why you'll never see me do that. Because there's sometimes you say, well, I want that. And you're like, really? What are you going to do with the Harley Davidson, Lord? <laughs> I thought you was into horses. You know, the four horsemen thing. <laughs> he will meet your needs when you freely open your hands. Other than that, guess what you spend all your time doing? Trying to be self-sufficient in your pride. And you can't understand why you can't find contentment. Okay? I mean, he concludes, Paul concludes 2 Corinthians with, I know the secret of contentment. Why? It's all his. Whether I have much or whether I have little, it's all his. Why? And he supplies my needs. Other than that, you are trying to supply your needs. How much energy do you put in that? How much heartache do you put in that? When God finds a giver, God sets a special love on that giver. And he pours his generosity on that giver. All right. And not only does he pour his love on that giver in generosity, he does it with abundance. You know why he, he does that? So that you can give even more. Now, if you're trying to focus this thing on um, is God going to give me the winning lotto tickets or is God going to give me my a good return on my stock options? Or is my retirement going to be good or something like that? You've already missed it. Because I can tell you right now that even if he does, you won't be content. It'll never be sufficient. But if you're giving it to the good deeds that God has laid on your hearts and you're doing it with open hands and you're doing it freely, he will make it so you can give more. That's God's prosperity. Here, a Christian who is not concerned about accumulating stuff. 
Do you ever think about that? We like to accumulate stuff. Sometimes we, we kind of guard it. Okay, I don't want to have too much stuff. Okay. Really? God keeps fully supplied with abundance so he can continue to do good. And I've seen it. I've seen people, a pastor that I replaced, God provided him a car. He gave a young lady in the church the car because she didn't have transportation. He just walked over, signed the title to her, gave it to her. So, you know, God had given him a car. He says, here, you can have mine. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's a Honda, but big deal. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> it, was, it ran good. Didn't burn oil. I mean, don't get me wrong. God keeps fully supplied with an abundance so that we can continue to do good. So we can be generous in our giving unto good deeds. Okay? We present you occasionally things that come up in the body of Christ. This is a need. All right? We'll see what happens. Every deed in which, the the word good deed that you see there, every good deed, every deed in which you do good by giving to meet that need. That's a literal of that, the syntax of that. Every deed in which you do good by giving to meet that need. Here is a need. It is good to meet that need. Okay? Simple principle. We give, we sow with God. The more that we give, the bigger the harvest. All right. The bigger the harvest, the bigger the harvest, the more seed we get. Right? Okay. This is a principle. You sow it, it's bigger and bigger, and then guess what happens next? It's even bigger the next time. Another verse. You know, when I, I, I speak of every Christian, people. What do you mean every Christian? Well, there are Christians who give. Okay, it's Sunday, I'm supposed to give. Okay, there are Christians who give generously. Okay, because perhaps their place in society is a little better. Okay, and I I can give more. Okay. Then there are those who give generously and sacrificially. Okay. Those are the ones that he's speaking of here who have a special affection from God because they're looking at everything they are giving to as an investment into the eternal kingdom of the eternal God for eternity. Okay. That is their focus. And that's why the widow can give a penny. Okay, and she outgave them all because the odds are that's all she had. And she probably was going to have to fast a day. And you sit there and go, well, a penny. Well, if you've got a fast a day. 
for what you offered? That is generous and sacrificial. And you know what? The lady didn't blow a horn and say, look what I just gave. Okay? She just gave it. Why? I'm not trying to draw attention to me. I'm just trying to do the Lord's work. And you give, you trust God's power and grace to pour abundance of gifts to replenish what you're giving. I give it because I trust God to replace it so that I can give more. Let me ask you a question. How's your faith? Simple question. As a pastor, I'm supposed to be looking for that. How's your faith? You trust that? I want to do more good deeds. You understand that you have been given these deeds to walk in predetermined before the foundations of the earth. And my question is, are you? It's a simple question. God has called us here for such a time as this to do the things that he's laid on our hearts. Are we? Or are we delegating? I'm delegating my good deeds to someone else. Do we know in our hearts he is giving us the privilege of giving more so that we can grow more so we can give more? Do we know that? You know what I've learned? (laughs) I can't make you guys believe that. I know that he's never let me down. Ever. Ever. I had two families, adult families living with adult kids living in my home. I did not charge them rent. I did not charge them for groceries or utilities. Okay? They were on hard times. Okay? Uh, I paid the grocery bill. Okay? Due to things here at the church, I'd taken a third cut in pay. All right? My weekly grocery bill for all of them people, was about $650 a week after taking a cut in pay. And I have never been brave enough to write it down on paper to see how it worked. Because I was saying, <laughs> math is law. You can't change math. I mean, you can, two and two is four. I mean, you may want it to be five, but it's still four. I have to this day, I don't know. And I did that for a little over a year. How did that work? I don't know. I have no idea how it worked. But he said, you opened up your house. You're showing the love of Christ. And you're taking care of their needs. They paid, paid me not a nickel. Neither family. How did it work? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I still look back on it and go, well, wasn't that weird? <laughs> no, I don't want nobody coming live with me. <laughs> I've, I've, I've marked that off of my bucket list. <laughs> I've done that. Let me tell you this, though. If you believe this, right here, what we're just looking at, if you believe it, 
Don't say amen right now. Because you know I've got another one coming. Okay? If you believe what I just read to you, you will act on it. I've watched people try to do it in the past, try to prove me wrong. I always thought that was comical. Because you ain't going to prove me wrong. You're trying to prove the word of God wrong. Knock yourself out. We are all called to do this. And what I mean by all is all. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 it says, He who steals must steal no longer. Duh. All right. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good. So that he will have something to share with one who is in need. Seems straightforward to me. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Get your job. Why? So you can share with those who have a need. But that's a thief. It's real straightforward. It's sort of like uh, if you don't uh, work, you don't eat. You don't have to be a theologian on that one. He says, if you're a thief, stop it. Get a job. Why? So you can what? We are all called to give. We are all called to support God's work. We are all called to help God's people. Even the thief. Even the thief. He begins working so he can sow with God. So he can reinvest in the lives of others who are in need. So when you back up and you look at this text in 2 Corinthians, you know, first time I read through it, I was in the original text, and I kept looking at that word all and all of the parsings that was taking place in it. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then as I kept reading it more and more, I kept saying, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. Because he's saying, I'm going to put your faith right on the line now. Period. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. It's so straightforward. There is an abundance of contentment in the grace abounding to a cheerful giver so that they have the ability to take care of every need. You believe that? If you do, you will put it into action. It's that simple. Pretty amazing. I mean, you can use the cliches. Well, you can't outgive God. You're right, but he can make all grace abound to you and that you will always have all sufficiency in everything so that your good deeds, which are a reflection of the person of Christ, will be magnified. Interesting concept. We'll pick this generosity of God up 
next week. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you for your word. Thank you for your abundant grace, your infinite grace. Father, thank you for the love that you give to your special givers. Father, thank you for the generosity that you give to your those that you have a special love for. But Father, I thank you for your generosity of salvation. Father, I thank you for your generosity of mercy and your grace. And Father, I thank you for a love that surpasses knowledge that we can understand in the person of the Holy Spirit and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have laid on our hearts good deeds, works of the Most High God, and you've given us a privilege to be a part of it. Your glory and praise. Amen.